I have a message on my heart today. Um, I'm a little worried that I'm not going to be able to get through it because of the passion that is in my heart. I believe with all my heart in the local church, and I want to preach a message about serving in the local church. Taking a servant's towel is our, is our theme and our set of messages, but I want to talk about serving in a local church. If we can talk about patterns just for a moment, God has set up in this natural world and in the spiritual world certain patterns, order, the, the way things ought to be, and he, he's prescribed these patterns for the best outcomes. If you follow these patterns, you get the best outcome. Because God is the one who conceived of all things and created all things, and by design, he created them to fit within a certain structure. If you take it out of that structure, what was created, and try and squeeze it into another structure, it doesn't work as well. Birds flying in V formation uh, synchronize their wing beats so that they catch the updraft of, uh, of the bird in front of them. And so scientists have estimated it saves them about 30% of their energy if they fly in a V formation and take turns at leading. It's a pattern. You don't have to do that. Those birds could say, well, I don't know why can't I just lead the whole time. Well, then you can all fly in a straight line. You're just going to burn up a lot more energy. It's, it's not according to the pattern. God's dream for children is that they grow up in a safe and loving family where both dad and mom are devoted followers of Jesus. This is God's best dream for a child. And that, that those two, husband and wife, are in covenant with one another, which they take seriously. And then they, they uh, in mutual respect and mutual love, they bring those children up in the fear and the discipline of Jesus. That's God's best dream. Now, you and I both know that there are many different families, and that's not always the case. There are some families where dads beat their kids, and moms get drunk and stay out all night. It's... it's, it's some families, this pattern that God's dream has, they, they, they mess it up. And it's not to say if, if kids are being beaten by their dad, well, the, the answer is to take them out and put them on the street where they can run around in gangs. Because they go, that's way better than my dad. He used to beat me. This is much better. No, the answer to a poorly governed family is to take that child and put them in a well-run family according to God's pattern. And so many times... Uh, we find that, uh, that God's dream for a baby Christian is to bring them into a family, a church that acts like a family. It's God's pattern where that church is led by people that the Holy Spirit has appointed to be the leaders in that church. And that those people walk in humility and in a team of people who look after one another and look after the people that God has assigned to them. Because God assigns spiritual oversight to a group of people to look after some people. And God's dream for young baby Christians is to come into an environment like that. Where all the health and the nourishment and the beauty of what a family was designed to do is happening. These believers loving one another deeply from the heart. That's God's best dream. Now you and I know that some churches are led by obnoxious people who do horrible things. Well, do you not know that? You guys are looking at you guys. You look so spiritual. Are we allowed to say that in church? Yeah. But just because something went ugly in the church and people are clearly acting in a way that they oughtn't to be acting doesn't mean we should do away with the church. Let's all run in gangs in the street. You know. 
So God's view of the church is profound and beautiful. I tell you a secret. Are you listening? I'm telling you a secret. Husbands, love your wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. And Paul says, and there's a profound thing that's going to happen. These two, this man and this woman, will become one flesh. And then he stops. And he looks around. I'm telling you a profound mystery. It's a secret. I'm not talking about a man and a woman. I'm talking about Jesus and the church. These two are going to become one. It's a profound mystery, Paul says. This is the dream that God had. The culmination of the end of the age, Jesus and the church are going to become one. In Revelation 19, he says, Behold, I saw the bride coming out of heaven. She was dressed in white. my call is to be an attendant of the bride. And Jesus looks at her with profound longing and love. And the way he views his bride is with full love. Because when God set this all in motion, he said, son, I want you to build for yourself a bride. And you're going to spend eternity with her. And you're going to become one with her. And the scripture says when Jesus comes back, he'll be marveled at among those who believed. He's really, he's literally going to take our breath away. But here's the amazing thing. We're going to take his breath away. Because he died. He poured out his blood to wash you clean. To make you holy. To make you beautiful. And you are beautiful to him. And you're profoundly amazing. And God didn't shortchange his son. He said, I'm going to make a bride for you, son. Out of every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. I'm going to build for you a, a, a woman of incredible beauty. Some people think that the, 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 the blood of Jesus washes us, sort of sprinkles us slightly clean. No, the blood of Jesus washed you, made you profoundly beautiful to the king. And he appoints some people to be attendants of his bride to look after her and to equip her so that when he comes back, she is spotless and beautiful and profound. Song of Songs, how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Some of us need to catch a glimpse again of how Jesus views his people, his church. He's enamored. Love struck, love struck, just given over in heart to the love of his bride. In Ephesians 5, Paul said, Husbands, love your wives. And he set, he set the standard by which you should love like Jesus loves the church. That's the standard. That's the default. Like Jesus loves the church, love your wife like that. Every 10 years or so, another 
doctrine of devils comes along and it says we should back off the local church. We should change this. This is going wrong because they cite, you see, you see over there, that, that went wrong. You see, that dad beats his kids, so, so we should stop families. And every 10 years or so, and I, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years, I, I, you know, so after, after this is the fourth spin cycle of that, and I'm going, can we just stop with this nonsense? But every 10 years or so, some new kid comes up with a revelation. He's seen something, and it's new, and it's profound. And you know what we should do? We should just throw out, the, we should just throw out everything, and we should start anew. We start brand new. It's going to be different. It's going to be whiz-bang. It's going to be amazing. Right now in our culture, hey, 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 let's not have a man and a woman in covenant under, under the awe of God bringing up kids. No, no, let's just have a, a new thing. Throw all of that out. That's nonsense. Why do you have to be in covenant with one another? Why don't you just bounce every five years to another partner or multiple partners or, or we're going to try a brand new thing? The problem with that is you wind it forward 30 years and then measure it by its fruit because we haven't had 30 years of that destructive nonsense to show how silly it is. So we want to throw out everything the Bible teaches because we've got a brand new idea. No, if you don't follow the biblical pattern, you're going to hit some real rocky places. In the time when kings go out to war, David was at home in his palace. And then he saw Bathsheba. There are some things that you will encounter if you step out of pattern that you wouldn't encounter if you stuck in pattern. God's dream is local churches who love him and love one another. So that everywhere around the world, in a local community, there is a visible demonstration of his kingdom. And that's his intent. And somehow... COVID helped us and new technology is helping us and the new sweeping wave of optimism about there's a brand new something, let's just throw out the old. And that, that has accumulated and conglomerated into a, a place where people are backing out of local church and not giving themselves to serve and not putting their shoulder in the harness again and saying, I want to be part of this beautiful bride that Jesus is so enamored with. I want to pour out my life for people, imperfect people, warts and all. Because all of us would prefer a homogeneity where I'm going to meet at my house with just a few people that I invited, that think like me and that look like me and who think I'm wonderful. And we're going to meet and we're going to do all the things that we do. We're going to pray and worship and teach and, and everything's going to be wonderful. But you're not going to get an opportunity to forgive one another and bear with one another and be patient with one another and love one another and, and put up with one another and rebuke one another. I want to be in a church with ordinary people like you. who genuinely want to serve God, who genuinely just want to have an authentic walk with God, warts and all, imperfect as we are. 
I want to learn to love people like that. I want to walk with people like that into a life that Jesus called us to. And I hope that there's people of different ages, of different races, of different persuasions. I hope that it's not just a one little homogenous group. I hope that there are people who think and act and feel differently. Because I need to learn to love them. Not just my little four. Us four and no more. We have the theology that's true. We have it right. Since when was having it right the end goal? Loving people is the end goal. So we forsake loving other people for the sake of I have the purest distillation of theology. And we mask that with hatred. And we pretend that it's honoring to God. Hello. I promised myself I wouldn't get heavy. But I do want you to know that this, this so moves my heart. I cannot tell you. I can't begin to describe how important this is to me. The local church is God's dream for this world. And there is nothing like the local church when it acts like it should. There is nothing that will heal you faster than being engaged in a body of believers when the body is functioning like it should. If I have an abscess on my finger, and the doctor says, oh, that's, that's a bad abscess. I go, you know what, i got a solution. We're going to cut this finger off. We're going to leave it there until it heals up. No, this finger needs to be attached to this body so that the oxygenated blood and the, so that my brain can organize the rest of the members of the body to, to fight against this thing that is attacking our body. And, and some of those toxins need to get pushed through my liver so that the liver can sort that out. And I, my body will sort this thing out that's attacking my body. And somehow through COVID, we, we decided, let's just chop it off and go put it at home. It, it'll be fine there. No, it's gradually and slowly decaying there. This is why I love the local church. Let me just run through six things, and hopefully we've got time to do some of them justice. I love the local church because of the presence of God among us. Presence, presence. I've, been, I've walked into churches and just walked into like the wall of the presence of God. I, I am a addicted to the presence of God among us. Jesus said, I will be in you, I will be on you, and I'll be among you. He's in you to guide you into all truth. He's on you so that you can minister to others. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's, he's anointed me too. And the Spirit of God is among us because he wants to do a testimony to this local community. God is showing up somewhere in our community. I love God among us. But in order for God to be among us, there needs to be an us that comes together. The presence, Ephesians 2 says, we who believe are carefully joined together with Christ as parts of a beautiful, constantly growing temple for God. And you also are joined with him and with each other by the Spirit and are part of this dwelling place of God. 
we together are being woven by the Spirit of God and Jesus, and not just people in this nation, but people in every other nation that name the name of Jesus. We together, and not just in this generation, but for thousands of years back, we together are being woven into a spiritual house by the Spirit of God. Jesus among us is a beautiful thing. Secondly, an opportunity to praise. Psalm 35. Let me just take you some Old Testament things and some New Testament things. Because praise, people go, oh, well, I, I praise God at home. I would venture to suggest, I would venture to suggest that the 30 minutes we spend praising God together is probably more than, than what you average during the week for the rest of the week. Would be, my, would be my guess. Some people worship the Lord personally and privately, but I'd venture to guess that most people, this is the most praise you get in during the week. Psalm 35, I will give thanks in the great assembly. Psalm 78, tell this to the next generation, in front of your kids, the praises of the Lord. Psalm 111, praise the Lord in the assembly of the upright. Psalm 134, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Acts 13, I love this one. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted. You ever come to minister to the Lord? Hebrews, I will declare your name to my brothers in the middle of the assembly. Let us continually, Hebrews 13, offer up to God the fruit of lips that profess his name. I love the opportunity for us to come together and agree, come together in unity for one purpose, to lift up the name of Jesus. Number three, prayer. Well, I, I, I can pray at home. I can pray with just two or three people. That's wonderful. Jesus said, if it's two or three gathered, that I'll be there with you and I'll come among you and, I, and there'll be the glory of God and the kingdom of God will be manifested because I'll give you the keys of the kingdom and you guys can get stuff going. But Acts 4 talks about the church coming together, and by that stage, there were five, 6,000 people in the church. It wasn't a prayer meeting of four people. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. It doesn't sound like one person was praying and the rest of them were listening quietly. It sounds like they were praying. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. There are some prayers that I think God wants to hear the church pray together. That we come into agreement to say, Lord, I, we, we want this. We want a move of the spirit of God in our generation. We want to see the power of God break out. We owe this generation and this, this neighborhood, we owe them a demonstration of the glory of God in our generation. Church should come together to pray these things. Number four, Protection. I want to spend a little more time on this one because I think it's a misunderstood reality in the church. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. For they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy. Don't make it a job of pain because it's no advantage to you. So many people are assuming that they can appoint themselves to leadership over a group of people. I'm going to take these 15 people home. I'm going to look after them. 
self-appointed, and the assumption is that, that I can manage them, and I'm going to do it in a style that's going to please them. But the scripture says, God appoints some leaders, and he says, now I want you to obey those leaders, and I want you to submit to them. Because they watch over you. They have an oversight role. They watch over your spiritual life. They pray for you. They consider how best to feed you and to care for you and to guard you. They, they're, they're given the responsibility to be overseers, to look at other people. And they're given the responsibility to correct and to teach and to call back. Nobody likes a sheriff running around being the moral police. <laughs> I've discovered that people who really call to this place, when they have to rebuke, they do it through tears. As Paul said, I now say again, even with tears, many love as enemies of the cross of Christ. The glory is their this shame, their God is their stomach. People who called to watch over people, like, like a parent, when your kid goes off, you grieve. That's an, there's nothing joyful about that. There's nothing joyful in the discipline. It's just discipline because you know, I want to try and save you. I want to help you. I don't want to just let you run. Acts 20, keep watch over yourselves. This is God's, this is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Keep watch over yourselves and over all the flock of God of which the Holy Spirit appointed you the overseer. Holy Spirit appoints overseers. Not self. I think I'm going to be an overseer. And Paul says, if you desire this office, if you desire to be a bishop, that's a good thing. But here's a couple of things that you need to see that they're manifested in your life before we can just appoint you to this role. This is not a, hey, I think I'll do that. That looks easy. How hard can it be? I can speak. Psh, give me the, the microphone. Those who take a leadership role in the church, in the kingdom, have learned that, the, that their leadership involves a lot of service. It's not about the spotlight. It's about the service. And the more you grow in maturity and the more you grow in your leadership in the kingdom, the more you discover that you have less to do um, to do your own thing and more of your time is given over to the sacrifice and service that comes onto other people's faith. Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith and I rejoice with you. Because Jesus said, you can't become like me and not expect to face what I faced. If they called me the devil, they're going to call you little demons. He said, it's enough for a servant to be like his master. And if you want to be like me, I came to pour out my life on behalf of many. So you want to join me up there in the leadership rank in the kingdom? Welcome, son. Come and pour out your life with me. Amen. This is how it works. So anytime I see somebody in the, in, in the body of Christ who taking a fat cat, everybody hail me, blow sunshine my direction, just everything inside of me goes, that is not the kingdom of my God. It's Babylonian in its structure. Jesus said the Babylonians rule like this, they lord it over others. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. I'm telling you, if they won't spare the flock, if their first thought is not the health of the flock, don't follow them. Even from your own number, men will arise distorting truth and trying to drag people behind them. Jesus said, John 17, to the Father, 
I lost none of those you gave me. See, Jesus knew because Jesus spent time in fasting and prayer. And the Father said, I'm giving you those 12. And Jesus took them. And then here's the end of his life. He said, Father, I've lost none of them except the one that was doomed, the one that was going to always. I didn't lose a single one that you gave me. That means Jesus knew who the Father had given him. This is one of the reasons why we do membership in our church, so that we know who said, hey, we, we would like to be part of this church. We'd like to submit ourselves here. Then we have a really clear, okay, I'm responsible to look after that person. And if somebody leaves our church, I go, entirely your choice. Bless. But I'm now absolved of my responsibility to oversee your life because you said, I'm out, I'm going there. I so, bless you. There are a lot of great churches in the city, and I'm, so I'm not nodded about that. I'm just going, I need to know who's on my books because the Bible says to me, I have to give an account. One day I'm going to stand up and the Lord's going to say, hey, hey, come here. I gave you these people. How, where were they? What happened? Gee, I don't know. I went out with 300. I went out with 500. I came back with 150. I don't know what happened to the others. Well, the chief shepherd's not going to be accepted. very happy with that answer. No, I gave you 500. Where are the 500? Let's talk about participation. Presence, praise, prayer, protection. Can I just say on the protection thing? Some people don't get that there is a very real spiritual thing when you submit yourself somewhere. Because in the spirit, I'll tell you a truth. This is the spiritual truth. Where you submit yourself, you bear the authority of whatever you submit to. Jesus said, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will run screaming from you. You think the devil's scared of you? Scared of your submission to God. Right? You bear the authority of what you submit to. Children, submit and obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to the Lord. Submit yourself, for the Lord's sake, to the leaders that he's appointed in the local church. Oh, we don't need that. I'm starting a thing in my house. Now, I'm not anti-house churches. Can I, can I just, don't get me wrong. This church started as a house church, right? I'm just, I'm just saying that there are, you have to be careful. There are some people that God will anoint and call and by his spirit will appoint to be an overseer. Participation. <laughs> Participation means in the sacraments and the services and the signs that go on in the church. So Greg, I can do the sacraments at home. I can be baptized. Yeah, you could baptize yourself, but baptism was never really intended for a personal thing. It's supposed to be a public demonstration. Sacraments are supposed to be public. Wow, well, I, can, I can take communion. I know a lot of people who do, and I think it's wonderful because you're remembering Jesus, but ultimately communion is supposed to be celebrated in the context of a body. So Paul said, Corinthians 10, Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break in a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we, who are many, are one body, and we all share the one loaf. <clears throat> the anticipation of the scripture 
And Paul says, you eat without recognizing the rest of the body. <clears throat> you eat selfishly. You eat quickly so that they don't get your duck liver pate that you brought and they didn't bring. They only brought brown bread and you, you don't want to share it with them. So. And Paul said, when you, when you act like that, you're not recognizing the rest of the body. So the communion meal is supposed to be taken in a mutually loving environment where I celebrate the rest of the body of Christ. Amen? Sacraments are meant to be done together. And participation. Can I just say? I really just believe this all my heart. I really do. The day is coming when my life and your life is going to get rolled up and exposed. And we'll stand before the Lord. And everything I did that was on behalf of his bride, I think we'll receive a reward. Whether I liked it or not, whether it ministered to me or not, every cup of water given in his name, every time I poured out my life for somebody else, every time I, I, I loved somebody who didn't deserve it or was patient with somebody who was being horrible to me, or I, or I served somebody who, who's been obnoxious, or I just gave up myself so that his bride could be beautified. Every time I did anything like that, I promise you, I believe with all my heart, that has an eternal weight of glory attached to it on the other side. And I want to, I want to encourage you to get as much of that as you can. Live in such a way that you build up for yourself an eternal reward. And that means that I spend myself in a local church serving other people. Doing everything that I can to see that you grow and that you blessed because I know I'm not doing it just because I love you, although that's the truth. I'm doing it because I know my king is watching. And that on that day, I was proven to be somebody who invested wisely in eternal reality. Not in temporary things. Because temporary things will burn. But his bride is going to be cherished forever. This is for free. In Isaiah, it talks about this. He says to the eunuchs, because when God gives you as an attendant of his bride, he typically makes you a eunuch in the spirit so that you can't have your personal pleasure with his bride. He puts his bride with the eunuchs. That was always the way royalty did it. Always put the woman with the eunuchs. Strong enough to protect her. Not, not able to use her. I believe with all my heart that those who pour out their life for the bride will receive a reward because Isaiah says, to the eunuchs who do what pleases me, to you I will give a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. For all eternity, the bride will celebrate those who poured their life out so that she could be made beautiful. Give yourself to the local church. preaching there's got to be some anointed preaching can I just say faith faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God that word in the Greek is rhema faith, faith comes by the breathed words of God somebody expounding the word of God and it stirs faith in you 
Acts 2, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. I love the second Timothy 3, but I want to tell you there are so many gifted communicators, and you can get some brilliant... If you walked home and just did a small search online, you could get, you could get 50 sermons that were preached in the last week that are astounding. And I think it's beautiful. But just hearing a sermon is not enough, because Paul said... It's about the lifestyle of the person who's doing the preaching that's important as well as the preaching. 2 Timothy 3. You, however, know all about my teaching and my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, the persecutions, sufferings, the kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and the persecutions that I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all. He said to the people that he's preaching to, you know my teaching and all about my life. And that's a helpful thing. You can hardly swing a cat in the last three years in Christendom without hitting somebody who's a big name somebody who has messed up royally. It's time for the church to be a little more careful about what we're listening to and be a lot more careful about what we see. In those we listen to. 1 Corinthians 4. I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I've sent you Timothy my son whom I love. Who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life. Not my best sermons. He will remind you of my way of life which agrees with what I preach everywhere. Second yeah. Corinthians 12. A lot of people were boasting. They were the super apostles. Oh, and Paul writes, because they were saying, I don't listen to Paul. He's not a super apostle. We're a super apostle. And Paul says, um, how many times have they been whipped? Never. How many times have they gone sleepless on behalf of the church? Oh, not a lot. How many times have they been put at the back of the line so that others can go first? Never. They never do that. They always put themselves first. Hmm. And they're super And they're speaking about things, and Paul goes, you know, I've been taken to heaven. And I don't speak about that. So this is what Paul said. Even I should choose to boast, I'd not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain so that no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say. Paul said, I could... Paul could have hit the circuit. Imagine if Paul was alive today. I think he would be on the preaching circuit if he'd backslide. He'd be on the preaching circuit with what I saw in heaven. And people would flock to where he was communicating. Tell me more. Wow. Paul said, I don't talk about that. Because I don't want your opinion of me to be based on anything but what you currently see in my life. Can I just say... Can I just say, there's some brilliant, brilliant messages out there. But it's actually God's intention 
that you know the lifestyle of the person that's preaching to you. That you've seen them under pressure. That you know how they act, how they think. It's important for your spiritual life that you follow somebody who's not a fat cat, but who lives here. Who you can see and taste and touch and you can imitate. So the scripture says, obey your leaders and submit to their authority and imitate their faith. Philippians 4, Paul saying to the church, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice. Can I just suggest that every dad of a teenage boy, sit him down and give him that speech. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, or seen in me, you're able to do that, son. That'll affect the way you live. There is an immense beauty that's hidden from the eyes of those who are not spiritual. That's the local church. God is enamored. And all these thousands, hundreds of thousands of local churches together make up the bride of Christ. Probably 325,000 churches in the United States. That's just one nation. There's millions of churches around the world meeting today. Together we make up the bride of Christ. And then just go back through the centuries. The kingdom of God is made up of people thousands and thousands of years who have made this God their God. Together, we're going to be made one with Jesus when he comes back. That's something to give your life for. And in this series, we're trying to move people from what's in it for me to where can I serve. I want to take a servant's towel. Put me back in harness. I know I'm going a little long, but I just had this in my heart all week. Shaka Zulu was a, was a king of the Zulus. He started around about the same time as Napoleon, but he had a, a, an empire bigger than Napoleon's. Created the Zulu nation. When his mother died, she was the only person that he really cared for. When his mother died, he, he decided no one's allowed to be happy. And so he said, any child that's born within the next year is going to be killed along with its parents. No one's allowed to drink any milk from any cow. You had to milk the cow and pour the milk out. And no one's allowed to sow any crops. He went on a killing spree, killed a lot of people because he said, I don't want to be mourning alone. The whole nation was mourning. But by the end of that year, the nation was decimated because the wasn't going well and nobody had because uh, he had about 50 warriors around him who was a killing squads and they used to impale people they used to kill people willy-nilly and one guy the lot felt to him God he he walked up to Shaka's crawl and he said uh, he shouted out a rebuke at Shaka and he said you, you're killing the nation and you think you're the only one who's hurting and it's time for you to stop. Nobody, the whole, everybody who heard it just went into shock. Nobody spoke to Shaka like this. And he said, it's time to stuff a stone in your stomach. 
which is a way to say, pull yourself together. And uh, everybody ran forward to kill him, and Shaka stopped them. And he said, finally, I found a man. Nobody talks to me like that. And he said to that guy, I'll reward you, because you, you at least had courage. And he turned it around, changed the whole destiny. And I just want to say, I feel like it's time to say, stuff a stone in your stomach. I know COVID has been tough. I know it's been inconvenient. I know you're feeling emotionally bruised. I know it's harder to come back. I know that there's financial pressures. I know that there's people are still down and heavy. And I know that some people are losing jobs. And I know that it's not a good time. And you go, well, great, for all these reasons, it's hard for me to come back to church. Can I just say, stuff a stone in your stomach? It's time. It's time. Pull yourself together. Get back in pattern. Let's go change the world. Let's pray together. Lord, I love you. And I love you people. What a thing to give your life to. To be found as somebody who helped your bride be made beautiful. On the day that you return. To this we commit ourselves, Lord. You can count on me, Lord, to serve, to pour up my life, to make a difference. And I trust you for it, Lord, that you'd use me in this year to powerfully bless people around me. In Jesus' name, amen. On your way out, sign up at one of the tables. There's grace teams out there. They need you. Sign up. Every member of the church needs to sign up for at least one. Because that's what we do here. Everybody serves. Everybody serves. That's who we are. That's what Jesus required. So sign up at one of the grace teams on your way out, and we'll make a difference. Thank you.